sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. is going on everybody a good morning to you welcome in to the early line right here on the sports grid on a tuesday morning i am kevin walsh i will be joined by dane martinez the spitting statistician as we will take you through all of yesterday's action in the nba as we got a lot of big games but of course we will be getting you set up for today's action and not just in the nba but we will look at the baseball card, we will take a look at a Champions League matchup as per usual as soccer has certainly become a part of the diet here on this show. And we will also look at some big injury news over in the NFL, which is maybe a sign of normalcy, although certainly not one that uh, it is all too exciting to have back as we saw some, uh, we even saw you know guys lose their seasons already. Uh, which is how this goes. But I want to start by talking about these first four games that we got in the NBA because all of these games offered something completely unique. I mean, we saw the third highest scoring performance in NBA playoff history. No caveats, no for a rookie, no for a playoff debut. We saw the third most points scored by an NBA player in a single playoff game in the history of the league. We saw a team get up as high as 33, somehow only be up nine after three. But then that game kind of continued to roll, and it'll be interesting to talk about the shape of that series moving forward. We saw a great rivalry put forward, a close game, and the bigger story being what comes out of it with Another big-time injury update, right? And we even saw in the final game a scrappy seven seed putting pressure on the Western Conference favorites and maybe even wondering had there not been a pretty soft technical foul, maybe they would have pulled off the upset here. Now, the one thing from a gambling perspective that certainly stands out Because whenever we get clean sweeps throughout a day, I think it will give people pause. But we had not only all four favorites win, Dane, but they all covered in victory. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. You know, I mean, I thought it was a great first day of action. There were interesting performances left and right. Vita Mitchell with his 57 points. The Toronto Raptors, obviously, with their defense, you know, establishing like a, a, almost like a 30 point lead at one point, you know, the Nets we showed, you know, showed fight. But an interesting first day of action to be sure, Kevin. Yeah, it was uh, it was good stuff, and uh, I think we can go through these games uh, in chronological order, really, and just start to rip through them. And I thought it was very fitting, uh, and I thought it was very rewarding. Dane, that our first game back went to overtime between the yeah. Nuggets and the Jazz. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had some of those overs, you got an extra, you know, a couple of minutes 
to hit them. The Nuggets take them out 135-125. And I got to tell you the truth, Kev, you know, we should start with Donovan Mitchell, you know, the third most points in NBA playoff history. And here's the thing. When, when I see a, um, a point total like that, Kev, I immediately go to the field goal percentage, right? And to the amount of shots it took for the man to do it. So did this with 19 out of 33 shooting well over 50% as we welcome in our radio audience around the country to get on the grid here and get all the information you need to make it a profitable day, including, of course, the mightier 1090 out there on the West Coast. But, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit off air, Kev. The idea that this was the first game out, you know, the 1 o'clock, 1.30 start, Denver and Utah are not necessarily public teams, big market teams. This one kind of gets swept under the rug, even though a great game and an incredible performance out of Spider. Yeah, that's, you know, the third most points in the history of a playoff game. Like, I don't really think right. you can overemphasize that. Like, above mm-hmm. him sits Michael Jordan, Elgin Baylor. And then Charles Barkley is now one below him. I mean, that is a ridiculous three names to be <laughs> next to. The fact that it happened in defeat, though, is got to be something that will keep this Utah Jazz team up to me. And here's, you know, I think something that we can all accept then, right? If we're putting over this performance and, uh, you know, really emphasizing just how fantastic it was, he won't play better in this series. He might not ever play better in his playoff career. That's not a slight, by the way, okay? Like, we're again, you can't put third most points in the history of an NBA playoff game. Uh, he told Donovan Mitchell that his career high would be 57. He'd be like, okay, I'll take that. Yeah, uh, you know. right. But, and you mentioned an efficient 57 that yeah. also was accompanied by nine boards and seven assists. Like, Donovan Absolutely. played as yeah. well as he yeah. could and in this spot. And it wasn't, right? So you gave them their best shot, and it still wasn't enough. Yes, you went to overtime and all, right? But to be honest, we started with Donovan Mitchell. I actually think the most important performance in this game, Kevin, we can maybe talk about it after the break, but Mm -hmm. Jamal Murray, to me, was the most important thing here because we've talked about it like with Michael Porter, right? What that does to everybody, right? But if Jamal Murray is this version of himself, and remember, he was injured for some of the restart, right? You heard Doris Burke being like, I could be a 50, 40, 90 guy. His shot is so clean. The mechanics are so pure. And if Murray is that, I think it makes Denver even more. Murray output was very impressive. Yeah, I thought that Jamal Murray was fantastic in this spot. And we can kind of expand on what that means also versus the performance of Michael Porter Jr. But we are now rolling here on the early line. We'll be right back on the grid after this quick break. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here on the early line, giving you the edge. Dane Martinez, my main man, Kevin Walsh. Kev, we were talking about Jamal Murray, okay, who I thought was very impressive in game one as the Nuggets get a victory over the Jazz, 135-125 in overtime. 
But if you look at Murray, okay, 40 minutes played, 36 and 9, he goes for another efficient shooting night, right? 13 out of 20. And, and my question for you is this, really. What's the ceiling for Jamal Murray? Kev, you know, I mean, he's only still like 21 years old. This Nuggets team mm-hmm. was in seven, right? Multiple game sevens. I talk about the core there with him, Millsap, and Jokic. And honestly, I, I believe, and I saw Murray be good at times last year in the playoffs, maybe not defensively, but offensively. His shot is pure according to Doris Burke. What's the ceiling for this kid? When we talk about the great point guards in the game, Murray doesn't necessarily get mentioned, but he's only 21 years old. He went to Kentucky, one and done there. You know he's got the pedigree. I have seen him play like an elite point guard in this league. What do you think mm-hmm. is that him? And if he ever reaches it, what's the ceiling for Denver? Yeah, I think, you know, can Jamal Murray play at an all-star level? Certainly. The, the big thing is these playoff performances, and it's something that you had alluded to, I think, when we were kind of previewing this series, in that Denver has a little bit more of these reps, it feels like, underneath their belt. For whatever reason, it just feels that way. And you look at Jamal Murray, and, you know, so Donovan Mitchell overall was the best player in this game, okay? That's not hyperbole. I, I, I stand by that, okay? Over the course of what we got here in this game, he was the best player. But midway through the fourth and into overtime, Jamal Murray is the best player in this game. And, I mean, he was ice cold. He, he hit big shot after big shot, scored or assisted on the first 16 points that this team scored in overtime. And the efficiency that this offense played with in that overtime frame, I mean, the easiest way to put it into perspective, in the five-minute overtime period, they scored more than they did in the entirety of the third quarter. That's, I mean, that's ridiculous. That that yeah. was possible. I thought Jokic looked more than comfortable attacking, the, you know, Rudy Gobert. And yeah. I think the biggest thing here is that we really easily could have been coming on here today and talking about Michael Porter Jr. not being able to finish this game. Michael Porter Jr. getting taken out, having defensive right. struggles. And instead, we can look at it as, you know, we scored 13 in a playoff debut. And in some spots, he looked good. and more so to start this game and you know should michael did michael porter jr have the best game of you know that he'll have in this series probably not and i just want to make this one other point as i was looking through this box score dane in that maybe the jazz say dad you know what they made 22 threes on you know 54 percent shooting from three that's outlier that won't happen again in literally the next game the raptors made 22 threes on 50% shooting from three. <laughs> this happens, okay? Yeah. What doesn't happen is 57 points from your best player. So right. I look at this now, I don't even know how the Jazz pushed this to six. No, I hear you. You know I am on Denver. I have been on Denver. And and the addition of this version of Jamal Murray, remember, he was not playing early in the reset, okay? I've always thought that Murray and Jokic, I remember last year in the playoffs when Murray and Jokic were kind of doing this already, right? I was like, you know, this team is just going to get better. And you're right. You know, Michael Porter Jr. did not have his best effort, certainly not the 30 points that we've been seeing when I've been talking about him as an ascending talent and cornerstone piece of a franchise. But to the point of what I was really saying about Michael Porter Jr., is that it also pushes these other guys down. It gives the Nuggets more of a team approach. They are not Nikola Jokic and a bunch of other dudes, right? And so maybe in game two, Millsap goes off for 25, right? Maybe in game three, Porter has 28. 
But you have, they are multiple. And remember, Kev, this is still without Barton and Harris, who can still eventually come on in and even get this team to be better. Let's look at the next game. You talked about the Toronto Raptors and their stifling defense. They were up. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, I, I turn on this game because the other one goes, you know, to overtime. And, uh, you know, it's already 10-2. Toronto. Mm. Like, what? switch over to this game, right? And I'm like, oh, well, we'll see about the 10-point spread. We'll see about the fight of the Nets. They do show some fight in the second half, but ultimately way too much Toronto. They get the job done, 134 to 110. In the other series, it seems like you talked about how, you know, Utah gave their best punch, right? And they still couldn't get it done. Was this the best punch of the Brooklyn Nets? Oh, I think far from it. Now, I think Brooklyn, what they did to cut this back down was very impressive, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, you look at that, that's a plus 24 run going from down 33 to only down nine. You have to give them all the credit in the world for being able to do that. Now, the fact that they still lost this game by 24 points, it speaks to the fact that the Raptors ended this game in the first quarter. They just did. 37 mm-hmm. to 20, they win that quarter. They imposed their will defensively. They got whatever they want offensively. But I do look at this game, and I mean, Guy, Fred Van Vliet was ridiculous, making eight threes on eight of yeah. ten shooting, 11 of 15 from the field, scored Go. 30 points. Oh. But Go. Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam certainly have better games than them, I think from <laughs> at least an efficiency standpoint here. I will look at this series now, and you know, I think if you're the Brooklyn Nets, right, you were just, you were a lot more comfortable when you were running. That's what it, you're right. You were a lot more comfortable when you were pushing the pace. And yeah. the idea that you're going to outscore the Raptors, I, I think, is okay because, you know, I don't know if the avenue here to success for the Nets is to win a 105 101 basketball game in this series. So I think moving forward, we might want to look towards the total in these series. I, and I think one of the spots that at least I saw yesterday in the game was even at the half, right? The in game total. You know, it been bumped up about 10 points, but I still push forward with an in-game live over at, kind of mm. along the idea of Toronto sent the message they needed to defensively. The game's out of the distance now, and this should open up. And that's exactly what happened. And I think to watch this series now from a total perspective will be very interesting. I still think Brooklyn can get a game here, but that's a, that's probably about it. Can I ask you a question that you may think on its face is going to sound silly? Certainly would have been silly a year or two ago, but I'm not joking, Kev. Is Fred Van Fleet going to get a max deal? Like, what kind of deal is Fred Van Fleet going to get? He's an unproductive yeah. free agent coming in. And I mean, like, on the open market, Kev, right? Like, I know it sounds silly, but, I mean, there are a couple of teams in this league right, where his experienced championship pedigree at the point guard position could be the ingredient for mm. a couple, you know, um, what, what is he going to command on the open market? I, I think there's a good chance that he might get near max money. And really the only thing that's standing in the way of it is this idea of like, man, did I just pay FVV right. a max deal? Um, but if you know, could you like Toronto, if they lost Fred Van Vliet, I think it would be reminiscent 
of how Washington went and lost Harper and it didn't matter. And then they lose Rendon and you're like, oh, no. It's right. Pascal Siakam and, and that's right, just the same way where it's Juan Soto and maybe a, a bunch of guys in a way. I, I do think that this team should hope to ret- – I don't know how they're going to retain him, though, because that is going to be a yeah. lot to pay. I mean, we're talking about a great shooter, a great passer, and a, pr- and, a, and a pretty good defensive player who's won a title and performed in big spots. What? Oh, because he went to Wichita State and he's 6-1? Right. Yeah, all right, get over it. He's good. He's real good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, Can you imagine the 76ers with Fred Van Vliet running the show? You know what I mean? Or teams like that. There are a couple of teams that are only a little bit away, but the Toronto Raptors still have business to take care of in this season. They go up one nothing, 134 to 110. We still got two other teams to talk about. I mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers, and Joel Embiid looked like a boss, but it wasn't enough to get it Austin wins that one, 109-101. In the nightcap, the Los Angeles Clippers take out the Dallas Mavericks, 118-1. to We got to talk about some things that we saw in these games, including an injury to one of the teams that I care about in the Eastern Conference. That when we come back, the NBA playoffs are off and running. But before that, let's just make that news update right here. So what happened overnight? SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, including, of course, our radio audience. Around the country, get on the grid. That's what we do here, Dane Martinez, and of course Kevin Walsh. We also want to welcome in our newest uh, viewers, listeners, and fans here from the mightier 1090 out there on the West Coast, bright and early. Hopefully, we can help you make it a profitable day. Kev, I look at the next game that went off. The Boston Celtics get the one nothing series lead against Philadelphia, one hundred nine to one hundred one. But it's not all good news. For the Celtics, late in this game, Gordon Hayward limped off. He's having an MRI on the foot. It could have been a sprained ankle. This could be something where they win the battle but lose the war. They get up one nothing. but Hayward is an important piece for this team if they have designs on getting to the promised land. Yeah, absolutely. Gordon Hayward was a plus 10 in his 34 minutes, scored 12 points on 5 of 13 shooting. Chipped in with four boards, three assists, and more importantly, four steals. So adding a lot of good defensive reps for this team. And they mentioned that he left the arena in a walking boot and on crutches. Now, maybe that was you know strictly precautionary, but you look through some of the Celtics Twitter and they don't feel good. And that's a big deal. And you look at this game, Celtics win by eight, 109-101. I don't really believe that we saw Philly's best punch, right? In the way that we're kind of talking about Utah, like, oh, man, that right. Donovan Mitchell performance is one that you are going to really be upset. You let get away. And right. Bede scoring 26 points on 8 of 15 shooting and 9 of 12 from the line is, is good. It's not special. It's not, oh, wow, what an Embiid game. 16 right. boards good. You mentioned over on his rebounds prop. But that worked out mm-hmm. nicely. Tobias Harris, you know, having eight assists is very nice. But again, from his own scoring, 
I think he'd like to see himself put forward a better performance. They shot 33% from the line. I mean, as did Boston. I'm just saying here, I think Philly has better games under their belt, no doubt about it. And if Philly is able to get the next one, okay, then you can start to say, oh, wow, we got this team now. They are not the same without Hayward. And they'll start to feel a little bit more confident here. So Boston did well for themselves, obviously. You can't do any better than starting up 1-0 after game one. Jason Tatum was the best player on the court, and Jalen Brown wasn't far behind him. But Philly, I certainly think, should leave this game, you know, chomping at the bit for game two, feeling like they can really make a series out of this. Yeah, listen, I I think so as well. You know I'm on Boston, but, you know, I think you're right. There is more room in the tank for the performance of the Philadelphia 76ers, not to be outdone. Jason Tatum with 32, Jalen Brown drops 29. When both of those guys are on and scoring, Boston is very difficult to handle. Let me ask you about Embiid, because going into this, though, Kev, right, you were like, Embiid needs to be dominant, and B, they have no answer for in terms of big men. They were making the point on the telecast as well about challenging MB to not be this kind of 2020 stretch five, right? To, in essence, go inside, go into the paint, establish it, get deep catches, and dominate. What about, you know, I see MB, right, 26 and 16. That's a nice effort. Where my eyes go in the box score, Kev, one of four from three-point land. Don't we need to see MB deeper inside instead of playing around outside beyond the arc? I mean, four attempts from deep is not egregious. One of them as well was the, a last heave at the end of the game. You All right, but they are going to want to see Embiid uh, you know, down below as much as possible. But I think the one thing that stood out from those post touches is you know, usually you like to leave a shooter close by. They don't need that. Get out of the way. When Embiid gets the ball on the post, the goal here is to not kick it back out for a tie bowl three or a shake Milton right. three. Move. Let him go to work because now you're sending all of these capable defenders, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen uh-huh. Brown, Gordon Hayward. You're sending them. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing here, right? The nine extra shots that – or ten, rather – that we saw Boston take, plus they had three more attempts from three because they lost the turnover battle, Philly, by 11. That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing, okay, is they got to maximize yeah. those post touches. No, fair enough. I agree with you. You know, Doris, again, making the point on air. And by the way, who doesn't love Doris Burke, right? But uh, he's talking about how when they're coming to double, especially Marcus Smart, he knows exactly when to switch in. He knows exactly when to come. And, and she made the point that he comes with high hands a lot. And you saw that, okay, him deflecting the pass that we knew when MB, you know, passes out of the double or rotating from a spot that you don't expect him. Marcus Smart, a very good defensive player. We'll see if they continue to pester Joel Embiid. In the last game, Kev, the Clippers get the one nothing series. 118 to 110 against the Dallas Mavericks, although there were amazing performances on the losing end in this one. We know about Spider Mitchell going for 57 in a losing performance. How about 42, 9 and 7 for Luka Doncic in a losing effort? However, Kev, as we just heard in the update, 
Batman didn't have his Robin in this one as KP got ejected after two technical fouls and only 20 minutes of action. Yeah, this is a, a really tough spot because I think under normal circumstances, that is a spot where officials, they usually will go double text because the idea, I think, around double text a lot of time is, now nah, whatever, we penalize two guys and nobody gets harmed for it. Except right. we saw Chris Depps leave the game. And I know there might be some people who say, ah, you can't really do time and place, right? Like you can't situationally then decide you're not going to hand out the text. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean Chris Stapps would leave. Like he shouldn't, you know, already be on a tech. But if anybody, if anybody watched this Golden State Warriors run, Draymond Green mm-hmm. used to almost just purposely get the first tech. So then he could do whatever he wanted for the following 40 minutes. And that's what would happen. So we've seen you know, refs choose not to hand out text because they know the situation. They right. in this spot unnecessarily threw out text when they could have. I mean, by, by the time they had gone over to the replay booth, Luka Doncic and Marcus Morris had, uh, you know, pretty much smoothed the whole thing over. And instead, Chris Stapps gets tossed from this game. And do I, can I definitively say the Mavs win if Chris Stapps stays in? No, I can't definitively say that, but they were leading at the time and they only scored 13 points in the third quarter. It certainly felt as if the wind had been taken out of their sails. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the case. Remember, you were talking about how efficient and how good this offense was yesterday, right? As we were previewing it, you know, like the most efficient offense in NBA history. You were talking about, and and Kev, I mean, they get 69 points in the first half. You know what I mean? Like, it is rolling, and they're up at halftime. And yes, I do think the KP uh, ejection did have something for this. The the Clippers stars uh, came out, though. Okay, Kev, you know, when I look at Paul George and Kawhi Leonard combining for basically 50% from the field, right? Kawhi 11 of 21, Paul George 10 of 22. If these guys are going to go a combined 22 out of 43 for 50%, that's the kind of game the Clippers want to see with their two studs, you know, at 50% from the field. Absolutely. And, you know, Kawhi being a plus 18, Paul George being a plus 13, the whole starting lineup uh, was, you know, had some good numbers. But a lot of that came from an 18-2 to start this game. And the game looked over, right? But this has kind of been one of my problems with this Clippers team all year long, is they are approaching this year as if they are the defending champions, when they are not. Mm. Kawhi is the reigning finals MVP. Why? The right. rest of you got bounced in round one. Like, and that's a real thing that happened. Unless, you know, Mook Morris, okay, the Celtics, made it to round two, and then, you know, Milwaukee ate their lunch. Like, the idea that this team are the champions, they then proceeded to let the Mavs go on a 48-18 to run. That's not championship basketball. I understand they still won the game, but the caveat of Chris that being thrown out still applies. I mean, imagine the talking points that we leave this game with had they lost. And this game was tight. It was a one-point game even without Chris Stapps out there. So I think it's very reasonable that anybody who believes deep in their heart that the Mavericks win this game, okay, if Chris Stapps is not tossed. And let me just throw this out there, right, because we talked, you know, we about Donovan Mitchell's great performance. Luka Doncic yeah. uh, put a record under his belt, most points in an NBA playoff debut, debut, 42 points, 13 of 21 shooting, 14 of 15 from the line, had nine assists, seven boards. 
I'm going to say something, though, that might sound silly to people, but I think it's 100% true. He can play better, and he will play better. He had 11 turnovers. He did not have double-digit turnovers all season long, and that's what helped put them in that awful 16-hole deficit that they had to be on, and that's what's going to be tough. When you climb out of a hole like that, right, you fight back. They all of a sudden found themselves up 14. Well, you're going to start regressing a little bit and playing a little bit worse basketball. That's how the Nets cut the lead to nine and then still lost by 24, right? When you have to play your best basketball and it doesn't establish a massive lead, but it gets you out of a massive hole, that's going to make it difficult here. So I think the Mavericks, if they have the right mindset, should leave game one saying, oh, yeah, we can have these guys. We absolutely can have these guys. Okay, and that's interesting, right? Well, you know, a lot of teams at this stage are not interested in moral victories. But to compare with Utah, you know, you said maybe they did get pretty much their best effort. There's not more in the tank if Spider goes for 57, right? However, when the Dallas side, there is a argument to be made. You didn't have Chris Stops for most of the second half. Luca, even though it's a nice stat line, 11 turnovers are there. But also, you know, this Dallas team, if it is closer at the end, have not performed well in tight games. Meanwhile, the Clippers do have that experience, so we will see. We turn our attention to the four series that get going to when we come right here. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. The early line, putting the fun and functional sports content bright and early in the morning. That's what we do here on SportsGrid. Give you the edge so you can try to make it a profitable day. I'm Dane Martinez, along with my main man, Kevin Walsh. Let's turn our attention, Kev, to the series that get going today. We've got four game ones on the slate for today in this cornucopia of NBA playoff action in the bubble. We're going to have this. You know, the bullets will be flying hot and heavy for the next couple of weeks. We're going to have at least four games every day, and they are playoff games. The Milwaukee Bucks start off in action on their quest for a title today in the first game, taking on the Orlando Magic. Now, now here's the thing, Kev, right? I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who thinks that Milwaukee is not going to win this series. You know, it's a huge 12 and a half spread for game one. I understand this, right? But we have to find a way to skin the cat. Our friends and partners at FanDuel are great because there are so many different kinds of plays. The exact score for the series after two, uh, after three games, how many games will it go? There's a lot of other ways to skin the cat. So I understand that you are not likely taking the Orlando Magic at 18 to one to win the series, but there's got to be a couple of ways you can get action on this. Are you going to play with just like the Bucks sweep five games prop bets? How are you going to play this series, Kev? Yeah, so I think the best way to go about this is to play the Bucks to sweep. Now we've identified this spot in a couple of different markets: uh, Bucks four zero minus one seventy five series total games minus one sixty. Right. That's a free bet, okay? Because in the most miracle of miracle scenarios where the Magic sweep 4-0, 
you somehow still win the bet, okay, and you're actually getting it at less odds. So bucks to sweep, minus 160 is available to you at the FanDuel Sportsbook. I think it's the way you should play it. So, Dane, I don't know if you ever do this, uh, you know, kind of a parlay calculator, but you can look these things up, uh, yeah. you know. And if you take minus 1150, okay, and put that in four times, I saw it at around minus 250, minus 255. Okay. That means we're getting a lot of value on a minus 160. Or even if it gets corrected, a minus 175. I like the Bucks to sweep this series. I expect the Bucks to sweep this series. I do not know why in the world they would ever be messing around here. They have been waiting for this point. Right. And the Magic, to be fair, you know, things kind of changed quickly from that first game where the Magic had played the Brooklyn Nets. The Magic looked like the worst team in the postseason. So I think we're looking at a spot here now where we're getting value, and I'm going to look for the Bucks to sweep this opening series. All right, fair enough, and I agree with you. Remember, Isaacs went down as well after their first game in the bubble. Let me ask you this, okay, because, I, I mean, we're talking about the dominant one seed here, right, against an eight seed in Orlando that is sort of limping in into the bubble with the restart. Um, what about game one? You know, 12-and-a-half-point spread, mm -hmm. 225 is the total. Now, I have seen Milwaukee win games this regular season, like 117-89. to 89. You know what I mean? So the question for me in this total is, will Orlando be able to hold up to their end of the bargain? You play in the spread or the total in this game one? So for, I think personally, if you're someone like me who backs the Bucks to sweep, laying 12-and-a-half, yeah is really not necessary, okay? Because depending on how you figure out your unit allocation, if you play, let's just say, Bucks to sweep for a unit, and then you lay 12.5 for a unit, and they win the game by 11, well, now what? On juice, you're going to come out negative for the series, right? So it's a little unnecessary. However, you're not going to play them to sweep. Last year, in round one, this Bucks team against the Detroit Pistons absolutely manhandled the Detroit Pistons, and they covered every single one of those games. They won by 20-plus in three of the four, and then they covered on the road in game three uh, by a very, very healthy margin. So I look at this spot again where you're going to, you know, if you're going to play a side here, I'd rather be laying this 12-and-a-half. I think the idea that that's, too much, especially game one. Why is Milwaukee doing anything other than pouring it on? No, I think you're right. I think that is their opportunity, right? To plant a flag and try to take the soul of the Orlando Magic as early as possible, right? Because there is a universe where Orlando could be in that Cancun on three mindset before the series is technically over. So you do want to try to go ahead and, and kind of make that statement early. I am intrigued, Kev, by the next series, okay? Indiana, Miami, where technically it'll be Pacers fans on the video wall here in games one and two, because when all was said and done, it was Indiana, that is the four seed. Miami, that is the five seed. However, Miami is trending as a favorite in this series, minus 325 for them to advance to the next round. And then even in game one, they are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Lower totals, though, here. 216 is the total. And, Kev, I remember you telling me that the public is off on these Pacers totals a lot 
because the perception is that, you know, they're a uh, kind of defensive blue collar under team. But with TJ mm. Warren, odd and high, and maybe like you said before, the different potential shot profile of the Pacers without Sabonis in the middle. Um, we know Miami can score if they want to. What about this total? Yeah, you know what? What's interesting is their final three games of the restart, though, did all go under. But I don't know what I'm supposed to mm. take away from any of those games. Again, the last game right. against Miami, meaningless. The last game, you know, the okay. game before that against Houston, totally meaningless. And then that, you know, what really stands out to me was that game against Miami, which was both teams' game number six, where it did Excellent. seem like both teams were putting their best foot forward, one fourteen to ninety-two. Now, you would think. You would think that we would see the Pacers put better, put forward a better offensive performance. But here's what is the most jarring thing. That total in that game was 224. We're now looking at a 216. Eight <clears throat> points off that number. You know, players are, for the most part, the same. Are we chopping off eight points because it's now the playoffs? I don't. I don't know if that's the case. I don't think that's the rule of thumb here. So I'll look at this total. I think the only way you can play it is over. I think I'll probably end up doing just that. Yeah, maybe the guys that were capping this one and laying the line at first thought that it was 1997 and we had Pacers heat and you had a lower total, of course. Let me ask you this, because going into these playoffs, right, we said that Indy, and Philly, we said these were the kind of two teams that, you know, Boston, Miami, what have you, would want to play because they were kind of struggling going in. Now, after this, you're talking about, hey, Philly has more gas in the tank. We didn't see their best shot. And Bede could still dominate. Talk to me about the narrative around Indiana. You know, they were mm -hmm. going into this restart. Or at, at some point in the restart, people saying, oh, yeah, I want to see Indiana. We're hoping to see Indiana in the first round. Do you think that's actually the case for these Miami Heat? Are they happy with the matchup that they drew? How do you see this series overall? I personally do think Miami will get through, but I don't think it's going to be easy. For me, it's something like Miami in six. Yeah, I think for Miami, at the end of the day, I still would rather play Indiana than Philly because I don't think right. they have the ceiling that Philly can put forward. I think the fact that Jimmy Butler has a blood feud with a player who is levels below him is actually good because it's just going to make Jimmy Butler even more dangerous. And we saw it play out again in that game six, not to overextend necessarily, but I thought that that was big there for this Miami team. And let me just give a little bit of a note here that, I don't know maybe if people are talking about enough. T.J. Warren's status for this game is questionable. It's not even <sighs> probable. It's not even going to, you know, it's not certainly not going to play. Right. Questionable is not, you know, I mean, that's not great. It's, there's a lot better that you could be than questionable. Now, he's been playing on this plantar fasciitis, and they expect him to, you know, still be able to go out there and give him good minutes. But T.J. Warren you know, for this restart, scored 12 against Miami in that disaster game, and he didn't play, he hasn't played since then. So if this thing has started to bubble up a little bit more and get worse, like, the, the thing is with TJ, like, they need TJ Warren to be scoring sure. 30 a game for them to have a chance. So if Warren is now 
compromised, plus Jimmy Butler's going to make his life miserable. I understand the idea that the Pacers can keep this competitive, but look, we're now talking about a team that still has what feels like a less than 100% Oladipo, no all-star in DeMontis Sabonis, a compromised TJ Warren. Like, there's just a lot that is missing there. So let me ask you this. Uh, is this something you want to get ahead of, the Warren availability? Even if he does play, might he be a little compromised? I know he's been on the plans for fasciitis for a while, but like, do you want to get ahead of the line or do you want to look to others in the prop market? You know, that could be another way I think about it. Could a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, could a guy like Miles Turner, Holiday, could you see them having over games if Warren mm-hmm. is uh, either A, somewhat compromised, or B, the apple of Jimmy Butler's eye? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, again, it's, I mean, he made his life miserable in that game. That's I what I'm saying, that. right? So, but the, but the box scores are what the box scores are, right? They can't Correct. book it that way. They Warren, as I still look, TJ Warren's prop total is 22 and a half. And if you think you mm-hmm. can play that under, but the other way to play it, right? And we talk about this all the time, just like when we're handicapping a division, let's say, mm-hmm. and in the NFL, if you're an underlay somewhere, that means you're an overlay somewhere else. So who soaks up that potential? What's interesting, though, is so again, that game where he only scored 12, two points off the team's leading scorer in Victor Oladipo, who scored 14. They scored 92 as a team. Do you know what? It, so, it, it might more oh, so just be playing Pacers only, team totals. Yeah, you know, but it could be playing the Pacers team totals. This is what would kind of be the worry about looking to play this game over, is does Indiana have enough offense to get the job done? I'll tell you, though, quickly, I think another spot where we can potentially look to take advantage of an absence that we already know for certain, though, and that is DeMontis Sabonis. This Pacers team is significantly compromised in the rebounding department here. I think Bam Adebayo, double-double in the Heat to win at plus 172 is a nice little plus-money shot that you can take. Or, or even, you know, Bam, you know, 12 or more rebounds in the Heat to win at 3-1 to one is not bad either. I think those are, you know, spots that you can certainly, I think, start to look at. Um, and even Jimmy Butler rebound props as well. And he had 11 rebounds, again, in that game number six that we're talking about uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So I think... I'm going to look to back Miami in different ways here. And the one thing that is still somewhat throwing me off, if you will, is that Indiana is home. And I don't, again, does it matter? Probably not. I was reading up, though, a little bit yesterday, uh, a good piece from Matt Moore from over from the Action Network about how home teams have actually somehow been like better offensively in the bubble for whatever reason. And that, I think, is just going to be something interesting to watch. When we did see yesterday, Dane, whatever it's worth, home teams went, you know, 4 0 ATS straight up, obviously, but those were all the favorites. The Heat now a favorite, right. so it'll kind of bend those algorithms, if you will. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, you have cause for pause when I hear things like that just because of the sample size of it all, sure. right? Have you know, that happened in the bubble. Is that really enough to say something globally like, especially when we all know with our eyes that these are neutral site games. So those are two of the series that get going. We'll talk about two more in our next hour, but real quick, come back. We got to also talk about, you know, idols being won across. Look at champions league real quick. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, here on the early line on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. And, Kev, you know, we've been talking about this, right? When sports were for months, we knew they'd all come back at the same time. We got the NBA playoffs going on, Major League Baseball. We talked to our guy, Scott Wetzel, yesterday about the NHL playoffs. There's also Champions League going on, and we were looking at this a lot during the pandemic, the soccer going on. Well, the best teams in the world are playing, and the club teams are now at the semifinals, which start today, Kev. From France, we've got PSG, Cavani, and the crew. They are taking on RB Leipzig, who, you know, you talk about as a strong Bundesliga team, but is without what used to be their best offensive weapon. PSG is minus 130 favorites to advance to the final. Remember, there is still the three-way line because there could be the shootout at the end of these games. How do you see this one breaking out? How important is Warner? I mean, yeah, Timo Werner, of course, is, is his absence is not uh, going to go unnoticed, I feel like, for this Leipzig team. Uh, yeah. He was their top goal scorer. And, uh, you know, I was talking to some people, again, that I trust when it comes to this sport, and uh, they just feel like they're going to be able to push the pace here at PSG. And I think you think about the momentum that they pulled out uh, in their most recent Champions League fixture. And now, you know, against Atalanta, if Kylian Mbappe is more fit, can play this game from the start, I think you'll feel even better about backing PSG. And also, you know, Neymar, who put it again together towards the end of the game, I mean, he could have buried this game many of times in that first half. So I think PSG at minus 130. Um, you know, again, could this go to a draw? Could Leipzig strike first? Sure. But I, right. I think this is a good spot here for PSG. And it's something that you and I have, you know, uh, been able to talk about a lot. And I think it's been fun covering soccer as much as we have. But the triple money line value, man, getting them at minus 130 to win is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. They would have to do it inside of regulation for that to come on home. Tomorrow is Bayern Munich, who's obviously the big-time favorites of the four teams left in this tournament against Lyon. But if you look at it all the way into the kind of well, Bayern is minus 200 now to lift that trophy. We go back. Association, when we come back, we got two more series to talk about here. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. SportsGrid.com. 